Thank you for your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate it, cause people to know you more. Speak to their hearts, Lord. Make them alive in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5. Anybody guess it? Can you do it? 2 Corinthians 5? No. You opened up and it was a different place. Got it. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 5:17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. If you're in Christ, you're something new. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Okay, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creature. Now, I'm going to read this whole passage, um, and then I'm going to come back to this. So, the old things have come, passed away. Behold, new things have come. All these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself by not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is something new, a new thing. Prior to Christ coming under the old covenant, There's a worship system and a way for sins to be atoned for. So sacrificial system. Moses set up the worship system according to the heavenly vision that he had. He saw a heavenly version of what he created here on earth. The tabernacle system. Series of tents with chambers, outer courts and inner courts. And in the inner court... The altar, the altar where the sacrifice or blood would be spilt upon the altar and that would make atonement for the sins of people. There were processes of worship that were introduced in this sacrificial system. If you were as a believer back in that day under the old covenant to come into God's presence... There were courts, transitions that you would have to go through. The outer court, the inner court, the holy place, the holy of holies. In the holy of holies was a golden box. That golden box, literal box, overlaid with gold. Inside of it was the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, the rod, Aaron's staff that budded, that chose him as the mouthpiece of God, leader, Objects that were sanctified, set apart, uh, things that were considered uh, um, uh, specific 
to the people and their experiences with God, and they're placed inside the box. Over top of the box is a cover that is made out of gold. On that cover are two carved angels in gold. These angels have their wings spread out towards each other. And the scripture says that God's presence dwelled between the cherubim above the mercy seat. That lid of the golden box was called the mercy seat. This is where the blood would be sprinkled. And in between the cherubim, above the mercy seat, this is where God's presence would manifest on earth. Scripture says that it was his footstool, God in heaven, choosing, though, to dwell among men on earth. In this tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, in this place, God's manifested presence existed. And the scripture says that if any person was to go into that place, he shall surely die. You couldn't come into the presence of a holy God without perishing. You yourself had to be holy. Not a way for the unholy to be in the presence of the holy without there being consequence. And so in that place, God set up a system of worship where a priest, the high priest, the designated priest, each year would come in with the blood sacrifice and make atonement for the nation of Israel. Huge preparations went into them coming into that place of presence. Many preparations. They could not have sweat. They could not, they, they are fully bathed. There is, there is exacting process before they can come into God's presence like that. There's stories of the priests attaching bells to whoever went in there so that they knew if the bell stopped ringing that the person had died and they needed to get them out of there. Stories of tying ropes to the ankles because if that happened, they had a way to get them out. This expression of holiness is so intense that for somebody under the old covenant to encounter God's presence, it required absolute perfection and holiness. You could not come into that realm of presence. Our existence in the natural realm, separated from the spiritual or supernatural realm, Jesus, who is our high priest, chose to lay down his life as the lamb of sacrifice. Death is the only way to transition between the natural world and the spiritual world. Jesus chooses to lay down his life so that he can translate, he can transition between the natural living world through the veil that is separated by death to touch the spiritual world or the heavenly realm. Jesus, who is our high priest, lays down his life so that he could enter not into the temple that was made by men, which is a copy of what is in heaven, but through death he was able to enter into the heavenly temple to take his own blood and sprinkle it on the altar that is the eternal altar to make forgiveness of sins possible. 
If you're a Christian, this is what you believe. This is what you believe. See, Paul, the apostle, he writes and he says, you know, for some people, you're going to say this stuff and they're going to go, that's utter nonsense. And for some, it will be the very aroma of like, y'all are nuts. But for others, called according to his purpose, when you hear something like this, suddenly things start to make sense. Suddenly the aroma of heaven starts to fill your being because you're like, wait a second, I have access to that realm now. Because Jesus made a way for you to go through that veil without having to die. Jesus made a living way for you to have access to the spiritual realm, heaven, while you still live here on earth. Your hope in Jesus' death and resurrection provides that doorway for you to access the eternal realm, the spiritual realm. You're a new creation, a new creature. Nothing like you has existed before. See, prior to Christ, you're in the natural and in the natural only. You are a physical being that when you die and go through the veil, your spiritual existence becomes apparent. But see, Jesus was something else. Jesus describes his life as something that is out of a science fiction movie. See, Jesus is talking with one of the chief ruling council members, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, if you want to read the account. I have it memorized, so I'm just going to quote it for you. John chapter 3, the man Nicodemus comes to him at night, and he says, Teacher, you, we know that you are a man, a teacher, who has come from God because no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing unless he came from God. And Jesus says, Surely... Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says to him, listen, you're asking a question, how do I do that stuff? And I'm telling you, you won't get it unless you're born again. You can't even see it. You can't perceive it. It is totally foreign to the way that you were thinking. Why? Because you are a man thinking through the old covenant. But Jesus said, no one has seen heaven Except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. Jesus was proclaiming in that moment that he was bilocating. That he is there in the flesh, but at the same time, absolutely 100% connected to the spiritual realm, heaven, the kingdom of heaven. That he was not living a divided life, but that he was living a life that was fully present in flesh, and at the same time, he was fully encountering the spiritual realm around him. That's who you were created to be in the very beginning. That's Adam and Eve's story. And when they sinned, they lost that. Their connection with that realm, heaven, spiritual life, a life eternal, all of it, ceases who told you you were naked? They were naked the whole time. Why couldn't they see it? Because they were seeing from heaven's perspective. They were living their lives fully immersed from a heavenly perspective. They were not looking at the natural. 
When Jesus Christ came and he pierced the veil for us, he went before us, he made a living way that through your hope in him, you also can live this type of existence, that you also, your whole life, can bilocate. Scripture says that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ, that you have been unified with Christ, that your life is no longer yours, but it's Christ living in you, that that spiritual existence is now happening while you're living here on earth in the natural. Are you following me? I can't tell. Some of you are glazed over. Others are working at it. Don't worry, I'll get you somewhere. Come on, keep hanging. Why does this matter? Because the person who lives from a perspective of, of embracing the spiritual reality and takes from that reality and lives their life out of that reality with their mind set on things above, not on earthly things. See, that person will have the aroma of life. That person will shine with light and give hope to people. That person has access to unending resources like we talked last week. God wants to take your life and connect you to people who are bankrupt and broken and need God's touch in their life. But they don't need you to preach at them. They need you to live a bilocated life where you are embracing the reality of heaven so that that life flows through you and touches theirs. Old things are gone. The new has come. You are this ambassador. And God is appealing through you for others to be reconciled. I want to make some statements today. First of all, that God does not accidentally connect you with other people. Every one of your relationships, every person you are connected to, God is in the middle of it. He knows everyone. And he knows you. And he inserted you into their life. That acquaintance you made 15 years ago that's going to suddenly show up on your Facebook feed or in an Instagram post or something like that, and you'll remember that connection from 15 years ago, you think you're not that smart. You're just not. You're not that smart. Nope. God has ordained your life and he has expertly woven you into the network of humanity. He knows what he's doing. There's no one in your life by accident. Can you accept that proposition? No one's in your life by accident. God's in it. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses. You didn't have a spiritual life. You were not born again. You must be born of water, natural life, and spirit, spiritual life. You must be born again in order to encounter the kingdom of heaven, the rule of heaven, while you live. Nicodemus is looking at Jesus. How are you doing on the miraculous signs? Jesus says, I'm bilocating. I exist in heaven at the same time I exist here. I don't have a divide between the spiritual realm and my natural realm. Someone has a natural need. I'd reach into heaven and i provide it. Nicodemus, you don't get it because you have no spirit life. You have no idea what I'm talking to. You think I'm Looney Tunes. But there's a whole dimension, a spiritual existence that is beyond the plane of what you are looking through your eyes at right now. There is a whole dimension of existence, a spiritual dimension, where God lives and rules from. 
And humanity is in response to that spiritual dimension. Those who are born again get to participate in it. Those who are not live ignorant of it. And you just get yanked back and forth and being affected by that realm. Instead of being one who gets to help bring transformation to the world. And that's who you are. That's who you're called to be. Now, is it possible to be a believer in Jesus and be ignorant of spiritual things? Yeah. It's called being a carnal believer. Paul talks to you. 1 Corinthians. In fact, the whole book is really written to people who believe in Christ but then have zero tolerance for the supernatural or spiritual. You're missing it. There's a whole dimension of your spiritual life that wants to come alive. God wants to work through you. He wants to make you alive to this realm because you were born to do this. This is who you are. It's like you being restored to a birthright that you didn't know was there. Suddenly your eyes get open and you start living from that realm and everything suddenly makes sense. You were dead in your trespasses in which you formerly walked according to the pattern of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in disobedience. Among them, you too were formerly living the lust of your flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh. You just were living, you wanted what you wanted, and you just got, you're just going through life blindly. But this made you a child of wrath, God, being rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And we raised up with him and seated us in heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of your works so that no one can boast. But look at this last word. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. Oh, man. There's so much there. I... The, the ability to unpack the heartbeat behind this, like Jesus help us. Because the Lord, Jesus, accomplished for you what you never could have done. You were never going to be able to pierce the veil and live the life that God ordained you to live, created you to live. You couldn't have done it on your own. You needed him to do it for you. Otherwise, we would be attempting to live to be perfect, always failing. But what Jesus has done is he has fulfilled the law and the prophets and through him provided a way that even when we were dead in our trespass, even when you're still in this like state of, man, you know, you don't, you're not always great. Sometimes you suck. Like, sometimes you're not a great human being. Anybody ever felt like that? Or anybody lived with somebody that might like that? Like, even in the worst of state, 
Jesus saw through all that to your redemptive potential. He saw through it. He said, that's who you're created to be. And I love you. And in the midst of you not knowing what you're doing and you got junk in your life and all that, he went, ah, let's not worry about that. Let me go ahead and take care of that side of things. And let me begin to connect you to the eternal realm so that you can start living a spirit life Right? We're not going to worry about the sin stuff. See, this is what Jesus did. He took your sin and he nailed it to the cross. He has washed you. He has cleansed you. And this is the thing about transformation, is that if you will just begin to live with your face towards heaven, if you'll begin to enter into that spiritual existence and begin to draw from it, man, sin just stops being an issue altogether. You... You, you don't think about that stuff anymore. You start living under God. You can't see the junk. You're not even interested in the junk anymore. The appetite for the stuff of this world just goes away. But it's as you behold him that you're changed into his likeness. You were born to have an actual, vibrant, supernatural connection with the spiritual realm. Man, this ain't the Baptist church I grew up in. That is for dang sure. Thanks, Austin. Now, if you're sitting here today, be like, wait. What church did we roll up in? Let me just assure you, this is, this is real. And who God has made you to be is you, you, are, you have not yet conceived of all that he has planned or intended through your life. You just haven't, you're, you're not even scratching the surface. The life of impact you are meant to live. But it only comes when we learn how to be led by the spirit, not by sight. It, it's, it's living from that other existence towards life. Now, God is an expert at connecting you. And the work that Jesus has done in you, he is expecting you to do that same work for other people. So this is how it works. Let me read this. Matthew 10, verse 7 and 8. As you go, preach, saying... The kingdom of heaven's at hand. Like, hey, heaven is not a far off place that you have to die to go to. You can experience it right here, right now. You're supposed to be experiencing it. That's what Jesus is saying. Kingdom of heaven's at hand. It's good news. Everything that you need, everything you're longing for, it's right here. It's at hand. Therefore, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Jesus is instructing the disciples, and he's saying to them like this. He says, listen. I want you to begin to show people that that dimension is a part and wants to interact with this one. That God is alive and wants to be a part of your life. God with us, Emmanuel. That the way that God does stuff in his government, that he wants that a part of how you do things. That we're supposed to tell people about this. And then, and then prove it. 
Because they got sickness and illness and brokenness and they're facing trials and tribulations and they got difficult things going on in their lives. And God has brought you into their lives so that you can freely give away what you have freely received. God will cause you to become friends with somebody, interact with somebody 15 years before that person that you met needs what they're going to need. And God will have caused that connection, and then he'll have taken you through some stuff. And as you're journeying with him, he'll give you grace. And in his grace, you'll overcome what you faced. Sometimes there will be instant, supernatural things that take place. A dramatic thing, like a healing or a miracle. Praise God. Sometimes it'll be a word of wisdom, and you'll know what to do, and you're going to still have to walk it out. But either way, God's grace, his workmanship, is alive in you. And his workmanship is gone before you now and set up good works for you to walk in. That's what Ephesians 2 said. And so this is what it looks like. You became friends with this person over here. Actually, I'll, just, I'll use my family's example because I, I did it this morning and he's not here, but I can, I can still do it again. My dad uh, got, mar- got uh, uh, radically saved, radically saved in the 60s. He had moved out to California. He was a carpenter in the Hollywood district. He was doing carpentry and making cabinetry for Hollywood stars. He had made a lot of money, but then he met Jesus. He got radically saved. Okay? Evangelism then becomes a part of his life. And he notices and recognizes the call of God on his life in the 60s. Right? Jesus, people, movement, all that stuff. My dad, Southern California, gets radically saved. Okay? In his giving himself to sharing the gospel with others, he decides that the call of God is more important than anything. And so he sells everything to become a missionary in the Philippines. Sells and gives it all away and then heads off overseas to the mission field. In his journey, eventually realizes, I want to be a pastor and I need education. And so he's going to go to school and he ends up at Bethel Seminary here in St. Paul, Arden Hills. At the same time, my mother, who had gotten saved when she was a little girl in a little Baptist church, grew up thinking that she wants to become a nurse and entered a nursing program and ends up at school at the same time my dad is going through seminary. They meet. Right? My mom's journey starts when she's like five. My dad's journey starts when he's like 30. But somewhere in God, the Lord set in motion lives that would impact each other so that eventually, in the weaving together of a grand tapestry, You ever look at a grand tapestry from the outside? You look at it, it's beautiful, how ornate and detailed and amazing. You go into the back side of a tapestry, it's nuts. The the amount of thread hanging off the back and all the crisscross, it's just a disaster. 
See, that's what your life feels like, but from the other side of eternity, it looks totally different. See, God's got you connected to this person, that person, that person, this person, this person, blah, 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 and he's weaving together something beautiful. So that literally, the plan set in motion 50 years ago would have you sitting here today being impacted, being asked questions about the people that God's put in your lives and forcing you to realize that that kid that you play basketball with down the street, that you're just showing up, he's just in your neighborhood, that that kid is your assignment from heaven. And that because God ordained a connection and a time woven through the history of it all, it all has led to this moment where your pastor is saying to you, that kid is a divine assignment from heaven and you should encounter him as if heaven wants to talk to him. You should begin to reveal the spiritual realm to that kid. You think you're just playing basketball, but no, you don't realize the difference that you're going to make in that, that person's life. It feels so trivial here, but you don't realize the explosive nature of the connection in the future. How many lives that person's going to touch? Church, God doesn't waste anything. Every aspect of your life, all of it. He doesn't waste any of it. And he has done work in your life. You have a testimony. Jesus has touched your life. Has anybody in here ever had God provide for them? Uh, well, there's a church that should never struggle with their bills. And what does that mean then about who he wants us to serve? Because what he has given to us, we're supposed to give away, right? Has anybody in here ever been touched where the Lord healed them? Okay, a whole bunch of us. So then if someone gets sick in the church or sick in our circle of people, there's a whole bunch of us that have that grace already functioning in their life. Freely received, we should be freely giving. If I told you that God intentionally goes, let me just read it again so that you know that I'm not making this up. This is Ephesians 2, 10. We are his workmanship. He did all the work in us. Right? Christ created we for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, he does the stuff in you, and then he drops you off as an ambassador for someone that needs that work in their lives. And you, who are bilocating, seated in heavenly places, connected to the spiritual realm, God has dropped you off in their life and they have a need. And not only do they have a need, but they have a need that God has already given you grace for. And so you, somebody who has access to the spiritual dimension, has confidence and a testimony of God's good news in your life that directly is, meets the needs of the person. What do you think is supposed to happen? Mm -hmm. 
your shepherds. He has called you his priests. A priest goes into the presence and ministers on behalf of the God who he is a priest for. Our job is to not count their trespasses against them, but instead come before the Lord on their behalf with a testimony that prophesies that God will do it again. So I speak the good news that the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Hey, God wants to touch your circumstance. Listen to this testimony. Listen to what God did for me. And not only that, why don't we right now, see, because what happens when you share the testimony, this builds a bridge. It sets a spirit expectation. I can prove it from the scriptures that the angels of heaven are waiting for your testimony to come out of your mouth. That bridge, that bridge is what, is what begins to draw that, the supernatural encounter into this moment. And what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to manifest through a word of wisdom, through a word of knowledge, through a prophetic word, the gift of tongues. You're going to have a discernment. You're going to have a faith. The gift of miracles is going to happen, a healing. Something like this is going to manifest in that moment to demonstrate that that dimension is absolutely connecting with that person. Now, am I talking crazy talk? Are y'all getting this? Because (laughs) great. Thank you. Come on. Acts 1:8. All right, now check this out. Jesus goes through the veil, makes sacrifice. And not only does he, but he doesn't stay dead, does he? No, he comes back out of the veil, proving that the way is now open. The veil has been rent. Remember, top to bottom, the curtain that separated God's presence from the world is ripped. The way is open for you and I now to access. And then Jesus says to his disciples, hey, y'all need to wait in Jerusalem because the Father is going to pour out the Spirit on you. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit gets poured out, right? Listen to this. This is Jesus. He says this. Man, y'all are going to make me happy with how bored you look. It's great. (laughs) You will receive power. Power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? You shall be my witnesses. Okay, what's a witness? A witness is someone that saw something or experienced something. And the power of the Holy Spirit rests upon people to confirm what they saw, what they experienced. The Holy Spirit will manifest his power on you and in a circumstance when you are sharing about what you have witnessed Jesus do. Your testimony is rocket fuel. What did Jesus do for you? See, because if you answer this question, you become the most dangerous human being in the world. You, you, the, the enemy doesn't know how to stop you. Because if you figure out what Jesus has done for you, you are a witness of what he has done. And you, as soon as you know this, 
This is your calling in ministry. This is it. As soon as you know what Jesus has done for you, now you're living your life recognizing, wait, God did this in me, so that workmanship is in me, and I know that God is going to set up good works for me to walk into where I'm going to minister out of what I have seen and heard. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to manifest in those situations. You don't have any accidental relationships. Your neighbor that bothers you because they are so anti what you believe or who you would like them to be. Nope, the Lord says, I would like for you to love them in such a way that you are not counting their trespasses against them and that you are appealing to them with God's goodness, wanting to manifest their life. You're appealing to them. Be reconciled to the Lord. That does not mean, hey, change, because I want you to change. That means, no, no, God forgives you and you're released, and so I'm not treating you like somebody who's doing something wrong. Instead, I am loving you, and I am here in your life as an anchor of hope, as a priest unto God on your behalf. And heaven is right here. It's not far away. And I can see you're going through some stuff, and I would like to minister on your behalf. Right in that moment, y'all, this is where heaven shows up. I have so many stories and testimonies. This is it. You do this, you'll be on a God adventure the rest of your life. The Lord has done great things in your life. He placed you on a path to intercept others who need what God's done in you. You've experienced God's goodness in your life. What you've been a witness to is the very things that God wants you to minister to others. Freely you've received, freely you should give. Begin to recognize the small coincidences as the Holy Spirit leading you to take action. Any small action that you take builds a bridge of hope and God's power will manifest. God wants to touch their lives he wants them to be reconciled to himself. So you show mercy to people. Don't judge them. Just be the bridge. Just stand to your feet. I'm going to read one last passage over us and pray. You good? What about the people I don't like? What about, what about the ones are, who are sinners? What about the ones who have a belief system that is anti what I believe? What about, what about the people that God's put in my life that are on the op opposite spectrum of the political world? Are you telling me that they're my responsibility to love into the kingdom. Are they in your life? Luke 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors, that's a lot of tax collectors, all of them. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. They wanted 
Something about him was so attractive. They wanted, to, they wanted it. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Is there a group of people that you feel like you need to distance yourself from in order to maintain your good Christian standing? Is there a group, group, is there a group of people who, who you feel like you need distance between you and them. Otherwise, people would misunderstand your connection as being permission. It's the religious world that has the problem with this. The world world, you know, they don't care if you... The world doesn't have a problem with you being kind to people. It's, it's the religious folk. Jesus said, What man among you, this is the parable he told, if he had a hundred sheep and lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, says to them, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 people who don't need repentance. Jesus is surrounded by people that the religious world didn't want to be associated with. And he's telling them that he's there to reconcile them no matter what their outward life looks like right now. He sees past it and he's offering them mercy so that they too can connect with the kingdom of heaven. And then that dimension is what transforms their life. Church, you and I, our job isn't to change people. Our job is to connect them with eternity. Our our job isn't to convict the world of the sin that they have. Or demand that they change before they can start attending church. Our job is to connect them. To not hold their trespasses against them and appeal to them, be reconciled to the God of the universe who loves you so much. You are a priest of the living God. So even the people in your spheres of influence who you don't like, they are the one that's far away. And the Lord says, heaven rejoices when you set aside those differences to go give them hope. Your families are going to know Jesus in this season. 
whole households. Your workplaces will be transformed. Our neighborhoods really don't have to be war zones. Our neighborhoods really can be places, refuges, so, so that there's peace dwelling in households. And all of this is done in and through us acting on God's behalf in the world. To put a hand on your heart. Father, thank you. Lord, I pray that what was it shared today, Holy Spirit, that you would take it and you would cause it to unveil truth for each one. Holy Spirit, that you would sift through it and cause to align in each heart your purpose for them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd go before us, Lord, like your word says, to prepare these good works for us to walk in, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that in those moments that we'll recognize because you'll bring our testimony to mind, you'll prompt us by your spirit, and all we have to do is build the bridge. Father, I thank you for that. Many are going to heal. Many are going to be transformed and touched and ministered through and to and the whole world, Lord, come into the knowledge of your goodness. Lord, I thank you for that. So that I pray a blessing over this people. You are a powerful people. You can change the world. Just start at home. Start in your, your sphere of influence. I bless you today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face and countenance shine upon you. May he be so gracious to you and grant you peace. And everybody who dared to agree with that said, come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord?